there are moments where there is such a clear sense, at least in my own heart, that the Holy Spirit wants to connect on something, wants to bring something home. I feel like you've got to take a risk to try to be present to what you sense the Spirit is doing. And I'd rather make a mistake trying to be sensitive to that than make the mistake of not doing anything. And the fact is, this story, taken from the Gospels this morning, is deeply political. It's awkwardly political. Sometimes just even saying the word political in church makes everybody uncomfortable. Where is he going with this? We had a sweet moment, and you said the word political. Why did you do that? As we walk through the story of the wise men this morning, I want us to be asking ourselves all the time, where am I in the story? And specifically, I'd encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit into that quest. In other words, Holy Spirit, help me find me in this story this morning. Help me. I'm not Jesus in this story, so we can get that out of the way. Mark is not Jesus in the story, and everybody said, amen. That's right. So be it. But as we sit in this story and we talk through it, I think we're going to see that Maybe we're here. And maybe the Holy Spirit wants to help us as he leads us to ourselves in the story. But we would be remiss if we didn't start out at 35,000 feet. We would be making a mistake if we didn't start out at this macro level, this very high level, to bring things into the context that the text itself requires. Because... It says in that first verse of Matthew 2 that Jesus was born, and listen to the description, in the days of Herod the king. Here's the politics. You see, for those of us who spent time reading the Christmas story with our families and our devotional life, we've been caught up in this surreal world, haven't we? We've been caught up in this metaphysical, supernatural world of dreams and angels and choirs in the sky and a virgin conceiving by the Holy Spirit. We've been caught up in church, if you will. It's been Sunday all through our readings. And then Monday morning hits Herod the king. You see, Herod, Herod's like hard, cold facts. Much like Pilate in the creeds, he provides a historical anchor for the story of Jesus. The thing is, it's in the days of Herod the king that people show up from another country, again, think politics, looking for the king of the Jews. Isn't it interesting that the Magi don't come looking for the Messiah? Christ the Savior. They don't come looking for him. They come looking for the king of the Jews. So now imagine the politics of what some would suggest was a half-breed vassal king puppet of Rome overseeing with violence 
this corner of Palestine, and foreigners come looking for the king of the Jews. It's interesting because Jesus' birth is deeply political right at the outset, right in the text. It is a threat to thrones. It is a threat to empires. That's what Matthew chapter 2 is all about on some level. A baby shows up and threatens a king. The difference is Jesus' kingdom is eternal. You just sang it. How long is he going to be glorified? How long will he be lifted high? Isn't it interesting? There's no such things as in the days of Jesus of Nazareth. Because all the days are his days. Herod's days have an end. Jesus' days have no end. This is the, the big up in the jumbo jet airliner view of what's happening here on the ground. And I came to tell you this morning that I have to say, we must be praying for the kingdom to come, but every time we do, it's an act of treason. Because not every ruler is Herod, and for that we sincerely say thank you, Lord. Not every government is the Roman Empire, and for that we do thank God. We have brothers and sisters this morning who've woken up the sun has risen in their world, and somebody much like Herod is in charge. We're very grateful and very blessed this morning. But even in the best nations with the best rulers, think about this, to pray that the kingdom would come implies that you're looking for a kingdom to go. The kingdom of God ultimately will never compete with the kingdoms of this world, because we're told by Scripture, what? That the kingdoms of this world have become, in the end, the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. You see, Jesus has a kingdom that has no need for violence, much like you would read later on in Matthew chapter 2. His crucifixion and His resurrection will reveal the limits of Roman power. You can't touch him. And by that I mean to say you can't touch him in a way that will stop him. You can't touch him in a way that will silence him. You can't touch him in a way that will eliminate him. You can't touch him in a way that will get him out of sight and out of mind. Because when you touch him, his father will glorify him. His father will vindicate him. His father will raise him. And that's why his kingdom has no days. That's why his kingdom is eternal. Stanley Hauerwas says this, Jesus is a king who will redeem kingship from its former state of exile. Everything that we've been taught about political power has been a distortion of truth, of goodness, and of beauty. And Jesus comes to set this straight. So let's keep in mind at the very outset that this is a political contrast, a political confrontation, but it is not a political competition. Just to bolster this idea, did you notice, this was, I never saw this until this year, the star led the Magi to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. 
the star led the Magi to Jerusalem, and Herod led them to Bethlehem. Why would God send a star to lead men to a place of political power rather than just taking them the direct route to the manger? I say manger. I know there was no manger. I know he's two years old at this time. Just bear with me for preaching's sake. Think about it. Why not take them right to the house where Mary and Joseph are with the child? Why take them to Herod's palace? Why take them to the political capital if this is not a political contrast being set up? Herod doesn't know a king has been born. Maybe God wanted to make sure And I love the Jerusalem translation of this text. In verse 3, if you're looking at it, well, verse 2, of course, says, we saw this king's star. And I love this. We've come to worship him. When Herod the king, he's never just Herod. He's always Herod the king. Herod the king. And it's almost like a Holy Spirit wink right there, right? Herod the king. You keep on thinking that, Herod. When he heard this, my translation says he was troubled. And the Greek that talks about inner agitation, inner commotion. Has anybody ever felt that before? I'm waiting for the spirit of honesty to fall in the room this morning. Has anybody ever felt inner tension, commotion, agitation? The title of my sermon this morning is, Are You Perturbed or Are You Prostrate? Because the Jerusalem Bible, it says this. It says, when Herod heard this, he was perturbed. I love that word. I feel like I want to use that word more in 2019. Perturbed. So I decided to title my first sermon, Perturbed or Prostrate. And so I want you to just sort of observe me talking to myself and reflecting to myself on the outset of this year, asking myself the question, Mark, are you Herod? Are there ways in which God shows up and it doesn't elicit praise out of you, it it perturbs you? Are there things that God is looking to accomplish and when you hear about them, you have some inner commotion and agitation? Worse yet, and this is where the Holy Spirit really put the screws to me, to be honest with you, It's a sense in which Herod represents deep insecurity. You realize this is the man who killed his own children because he thought they were a threat to his rule. Doesn't get more insecure than that. Think about it. Healthy parenting, you want your children to go far beyond where you've been in life. Am I right? Imagine when you even start to get a whiff that your child might be remotely successful, you have him taken out. Herod represents the insecurity that is the inevitable result of trying to control things. When we try to control people, relationships, and outcomes in our life, 
we will inevitably be insecure. Because even though what I'm about to tell you is as obvious as the nose on my own face, people cannot be controlled. Outcomes cannot be secured. And it's our attempts to live under the delusion of that idea that leave us insecure because deep down in our knower, in our soul, we know we can't control it. And so any sense of control is just an illusion and we live with it, trying to hold on to it. And in the end, our life is a Jenga pile. I think this is why on some level, Herod the king is perturbed about the king of the Jews. It's because Herod knows he's not even really a king. Rome has just allowed him to play king for their own advantage. And people have walked, or as the manger scenes show us, they've ridden camels from very far away. Perhaps Persia, perhaps Arabia. They've come from very far And they don't really know anything about Herod. They don't care much about Herod. Have you ever had that moment when somebody who should have known who you were didn't know who you were? Am I telling too much about myself right now? You're all just looking at me. Okay. I mean, you should be impressed with me. If you really knew. (laughs) Well, let me tell you. I think this is where the trouble comes. The trouble comes when the Magi are asking a vassal king about a real king. A king who's tricking himself and everybody around him into thinking that he's got some sort of control and he doesn't know anything about this? How could this happen under his watch? Right under his own nose, how could this happen? Can I say to myself this morning, Mark, you need to be free from the illusions of controlling things. There's great freedom when you realize that you are not the Holy Spirit. It's a French philosopher, theologian, Simone Weil. She said, power is a means of action. But power-seeking, ironically, comes to take the place of all ends. What she's getting at there is to simply say, you need power to get things done. Power is what moves your car down the road. Power is what gets you up out of a chair. But there's a difference between power and power-seeking. Power is a means. Power-seeking becomes an end. And when we become the people who are power seekers, the the synonym for that is control freaks. That's the plain talk of it. When we try to micromanage and get our hands on everything and make sure it turns out exactly the way it's supposed to. Now, I know you don't have any experience with this, like with being the holidays a couple weeks ago and everything, but when you try to control all the outcomes of the perfect event like Martha Stewart has, Suddenly it becomes the end 
rather than the means. And much like force, power, listen to me, friends, power can never really be possessed. Power is always something meant to go through. It's never meant to be held on. As a matter of fact, when you hold on to power, bad things happen. Right? Herod is holding a greased, oily viper in his hands, and it's called control. And the moment these magi show up announcing that there's the king of the Jews and they want to worship him, the viper twitches. The snake writhes in Herod's hands, and suddenly he's troubled. It's the commotion. It's the agitation. And I want to make a quick note here to simply say this. Notice that it says that all Jerusalem got troubled with him. Two thoughts come to mind. Number one, I think we underestimate the effect we have on the people around us. And that is, a lot of the times, our trouble becomes other people's trouble. And we didn't intend it to be that way, but it can happen. And the flip is just as true, and that is, how much trouble am I living with? That really isn't mine. It's Herod's. And there's a Herod in my life that I have allowed. Have you ever sat and one day you notice you're driving in the car and you're holding the wheel a little bit too tight? and you're a little bit too tense, and you're a little bit worried. Has anybody ever had those moments where, like, why am I so uptight? Because Herod is somewhere around you, and you have caught the Herod flu. You are infected with his agitation and his inner commotion. Herod was perturbed in all Jerusalem with him. But as a contrast, we look at the Magi. And when you look at the Magi, it says in, at the end of verse 9 that the star came to rest over the place where the child was. And then in verse 10, they saw the star. And look at, look at the difference between this perturbed king, and I want you to have this image of trying to wrestle this fat, slippery viper in his hands called control and power and all of the insecurity that comes from that. And then look at these Magi, these outsiders. These people who've been on a journey, I think of them as hippies. They just kind of come in with bell bottoms and tie-dye. and They're like, dude, where's the king? We've got some incense, man. Frankincense. Sorry. Look at this. The, 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 the verbiage is beautiful. They don't just rejoice. They rejoice exceedingly. They don't just have joy, they have great joy. These words matter to me. Because in my mind now I'm seeing men, whether there are three or whether there are six or ten of them, we don't know. We know they have three gifts. And we know they have this exceeding, joyful, rejoicing excitement in them. They show up in response to a star. Now, before we get all excited about the Magi, can we not acknowledge together this is weird? This is odd. I'm trying to imagine how this works. How does a star, hello, 
move in such a way that it's over a house. I thought it was so interesting that starting with Gregory the Great, starting with Gregory the Great, and moving all the way up into 20th century theologians, there was one theme that came across quite interesting. And that is the suggestion that the Magi, because they were Gentiles living outside of the covenant, they could not be reasoned with according to the prophets. And so God gave them a sign instead. And here's what Gregory the Great says. He says, much like the gift of speaking in tongues was given as a sign to the unbeliever, God has given the Gentile Magi a star. It's one thing when you read Gregory the Great say that like 1,500 years ago, but when Harawas is saying it like four years ago, like the Magi are these guys who are out there, man. That's why I call them hippies. Can you imagine, if you will, sitting down with your parents, my son, bless him, 19 years old. I walk in the kitchen. His mother says, well, go ahead and tell him. <sighs> My son says, I joined the army two weeks ago. Great. Literally, no, this is great. I think it was a great decision. I think it was a great move. There are other great things he could have said to me. What are some of the great things my son could have said to me? He could have said, Dad... I've realized I've, I've got to get an education. And so I've enrolled in college. That's a great thing too, right? But awesome. Could have said, Dad, last night the Holy Spirit came to me in a dream and told me I need to repent and get right with God. And I'm going off to ministry school. That would have been cool. No, I wasn't joking, actually. That would have been really cool. If he had said to me, Dad, I've been doing some research online, and there's this star, right? And I'm convinced that Connor and a couple of my friends, we're, we're going to get in his 94 Civic, and we are going to drive to Mongolia. I think that's where the star looks like. It's positioned there. And there are papers that support this data. There are other sites. And we're going to go and we're going to follow that because there's a king there that we want to worship. Hello? Right? I'm saying put yourself in this position. These guys are astrologers from the east who specialize in studying the stars and things like that. So, okay, fine. But the oddness of this playing out, even for them, is pretty significant. And I think that's why Gregory the Great is getting to the point of, like tongues, this is an irrational thing that doesn't make sense. But can I tell you and just appeal to you that in my limited experience, people who are worshipers, people who are able to prostrate themselves, are the kind of people who are wide open to the sorts of things that don't make sense. I think that the, I love to study. This sermon is hours of study. 
lots of money in books and programs and all kinds of things. But here's what scares me about my study, is that I lose the big picture that on the whole, this entire project is weird. I'm sorry, it's holy. That's the technical language for it. Because you know that the word holy means other than, different, odd, unusual, weird. Unlike anything you're used to engaging. That's what holy means. And I'm afraid that in, for all of our smarts, and we're a pretty smart group of people in the room this morning. A lot of people here done gone to college and all that. And teach it for that matter. Let's not lose sight of the fact that knowledge puffs up and I say that as the person who did spend the hours, and I'm in university, so I'm not knocking it. Knowledge is one of those things we can use to try to control things. Knowledge about people. Well, I know. I know what they're about. I know what they do. We have emotional blackmail, all based in knowledge. We will never get our minds around this thing we're doing called Jesus. We'll never get our minds around this journey of faith, this walk of faith. And the moment everything has to make sense to us, we're inching closer and closer to Herod rather than the Magi who are like, I know this is crazy, but we're going. We're taking this trip. We don't know who the king is. We don't know exactly where he lives. We don't even really know where we're going to find him. But, man, we've got stuff for him, and we're going to go see him. They are open to the unknown. They don't have to have all the answers before they set out to do something. See, even as I'm preaching it, I just pray to myself, God, I want to be that person. I want to be that person who steps out without all the information. See, that sounds like terrible advice, Pastor. It just might be. It's what Magi do. I love the fact that they are open with their hearts and their emotions and their treasures. They're open with their selves and that they don't think anything of falling down and worshiping. A baby in an unacceptable, unexceptional home with very ordinary people. Remember what I was saying at the beginning of this about we know the punchline. We know the whole story. I'm going to ask you a question that's got a little bit of teeth in it, okay? I'm going to bite you right now. But I'm telling you in advance. I'm going to bite you, okay? You may not want me back next week, but I'm going to bite you. Why is it that Magi who don't have the oracles of God, don't even really know the implications of this baby's life. They're just coming on a hunch of a star, can fall down in worship, but we can stand with our arms crossed and watch people sing, claiming to believe the creeds and come to the table of the Lord. Why? Why are we bottled up 
Why aren't we opening up our treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh? We need a little bit more of that fall down thing. I think that's what wise folk do. Well, that sounds like emotionalism. Well, you know, let's just take the ism off for now and just be emotional. How about that? Because even look at the gifts they give him. They give him myrrh. Myrrh is an emotional gift, friends. It's the gift of death and grieving and sadness and sorrow. They give him the gift of frankincense, which is the gift of priestly prayer. They give him the gift of gold, which certainly is celebration and joy. Am I a perturbed person who's coming into church on Sunday morning agitated because last week didn't turn out the way it was supposed to and it's now officially 11 o'clock and the, he's, how are we going to get out of here on, what is going, come on, really? He's not as funny as he thinks. Let's just get this over with, with the jokes already. Is there a creed or something coming up? Something's coming up. Let's be prostrate people. Let's be fall down and worship people. Let's be open up our hearts, open up our emotions, open up our lives. Why are they so different? Why is Herod so different than these magi? And I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset he has. Here is the, here's the, the constant. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem of Judea. Here's what is. One guy's perturbed. Other guys are prostrate. What's the difference? And where am I? Am I over here agitated and making other people agitated? Am I over here on my face, pouring out my gifts? What am I doing? And how do I get over there and not be over here? And I think it comes back to this idea. Herod is all about preserving himself at any cost. There are a lot of issues at play here, but I think this one is what's sitting at the bottom. The difference is that Mary and Joseph and the Magi They're not concerned about being right. They're not concerned about things working out. They're just going with God's flow, open, free, letting God do what God wants to do. And Herod is trying to preserve himself, remain in control. And what that means, friends, is that every talented and significant person that comes into your life is a threat. Every creative and influential person who comes into your life is a threat. Everything that's different and is unknown It's a threat. And ultimately, control asserts itself in separation. In this case, Herod killing a lot of people. And this is fueled by his insecurity and his fear. Friends, I'm worn out being a perturbed person. It's exhausting to be in control. I'm tired of being threatened by other people's goodness.
I'm tired of being a person who has to have all the facts and all the details. The blah, blah. I want to be a wise man. I want us to be epiphany people. See, what I love about epiphany people is the very end of it. Here I close. This is it. They departed and went to their own country. Epiphany people go back to the real world. They don't stay at Bethlehem. They don't set up camp outside the house and have tents and go back in and keep worshiping the toddler. They don't do that. Because epiphany people aren't hermits. They have friends. They relate to people. And they can do this. They go back to their country because they realize they've met a king whose realm has no limit. You can go back to your people because Jesus is king there just like he's king here. You can go back to Persia. You can go back to Arabia because Jesus is not less a king in Arabia than he is in Bethlehem. He's not less a king in Persia than he is in Judea. He's the same king in the same place and his days have no end. That's why you go back to your people. But I love this phrase. And I know it's literally the face value interpretation as they go back on the map a different way. But every good theologian is going to tell you there's deep symbolic meaning here. They go back like different people. You can't encounter the king of the Jews and walk the same way afterward. I'm convinced he's so infinite, he's so great, he's so special, he's so beautiful that I can encounter him at this table every week and go back to my country a different way every week and never run out of different ways to go back to my country. And if there's any country that needs people to go back to it different ways, it's this country at this time. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, as joint heirs with Jesus. And Father, I pray for myself, and I pray for all my brothers and sisters in the room who, who need this. Help us with our insecurities. Heal us of our insecurities. Free us from the illusion of control. Help us be free this morning. Help us to be the kind of prostrate people who can fall down on our faces and worship you. Not, not caring what people think about us. Not trying to figure it out, how it's rational, how it makes sense. God, help us be overwhelmed once again with the beauty and the goodness of who you are. God, I pray for all of us that all of the wonderful, gifted, talented, precious people you put in our lives, we can truly, honestly, freely, and fully celebrate your goodness in them and not be threatened and not be like Herod trying to eliminate any sense of competition. But love your goodness in them. Father, I bless your people today that they would be epiphany people, people with open hearts, open minds, open treasures, that they would rejoice exceedingly and with great joy. We ask this in your name.